0: Oh, we don't have time for that. Hi, welcome back to The Cold War Show, episode 77. My name is Cameron Riley.
1: Uh, And I'm not. I'm the other. I'm Ray.
0: You're Ray, the other. We'll just call you the other. (laughs) And Uh, I'll call you Poopoo
1: Stinky Pants. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh.
0: That's what my four-year-old, three-year-old calls me. I want to... um, Give a plug to for our uh, uh, Reddit forum that I set up recently. If you're a Reddit user, it's just go to the subreddit Cam and Ray, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where I'm. You know, you can chat. I'm posting up all the shows there, other little tidbits, news stories, things. So if you're a Redditor, go and uh, join that. Interact, chat. Uh, you know, maybe, um, and mostly as a, as a way of people discovering the shows really is what I'm doing it for. So right. go up there, vote for our shows, you know, give us a plug, say nice things about us, um, and, uh, help us, help us, uh, uh spread the word. Yeah. How, how are you, buddy?
1: Doing, doing okay. Um, excited about tonight's uh, conversation with that gentleman. How are you doing?
0: Yeah, they're not gonna hear that for weeks, so now you've just confused. Oh, shit. Them. We're not Okay. Yeah, don't you know, don't don't don't, don't, don't confuse the, the people. I,
1: I'm excited to be talking to you once again. It's my weekly Thursday night um Anima. Mini Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah. How are you how are you doing?
0: Yeah, I'm all right, tired as fuck. Yeah, I was saying yeah. to Chrissy this morning, can you can you even remember what a good night's sleep feels like? Like to wake up. Feeling rested? She's like, no. No, I can't. No. I go, no, me, me either. I do not remember <laughs> what that was like. I'm sure it was great. I've got a vague memory that it was of waking up and going, fuck that, I feel good. But I don't, don't remember when that was. It was many years ago.
1: Ah, uh, You'll get it in about five or ten years. Hmm.
0: That's what I said five or ten years ago <laughs> when my uh, other boys were this age. And uh, look where I am now. That's true. On our last episode, we talked about... Deke Parsons at yeah. Los Alamos. He was working out how to carry the bombs. We're still talking about the bombs. They uh, came up with names for the bombs. They had the Fat Man, which was named after Winston Churchill, which would carry the plutonium implosion bomb, and Little Boy, which was named after Churchill's penis, which would <laughs> carry the uranium no. bomb. Oh, God. Uh and lieutenant colonel paul w Tippets, uh Thibault, uh we're going to call him just to make it confusing because that's what we call tiberius on the uh augusta right. show
1: which show am I listening to yeah
0: yeah one of them tibo began drilling his uh 393rd bombardment squadron of the 509th composite wing how many fucking bombardment squadrons do you think they had <laughs>
1: Well, at one point there's going to be a bombing run over Tokyo of fourteen thousand uh fourteen hundred planes, so wow, there's a shit ton. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh they were doing test drops with uh dummy bombs. Uh five thousand five hundred pound orange dummy bombs, nicknamed Pumpkin right. Bombs, on the Great Salt Lake, which is probably why it smells. you ever been to uh Salt Lake City?
1: No. No, I haven't.
0: Smelly, very smelly. Smelly, yeah, I have. Okay. I have right. several times. It's very smelly. Yeah, there's
1: it this... smells, but you keep going back.
0: <laughs>
1: what oh, is that?
0: <laughs> uh, family, family, oh, family. Gotcha. It's very smelly. Yeah, there's this smell that comes off of the Great Salt Lake. I wonder if it's because they dropped uh, pumpkin bombs in it. Probably. Um, and uh, Leslie Groves set up Operation Alsos, led by. Motherfucking badass, Boris T. Pash. (laughs) Right. My name is Pash, and I love to Pash, who went into Germany uh, with the front lines to find the Nazi nuclear scientists and to to figure out how far they'd gotten with their own nuclear bomb. As it turned out, nowhere near close enough. Right. Um, Which is a damn shame, I think. You know, if the Nazis had gotten the bomb first, we'd all be driving Mercedes today. (laughs) and uh, we'd have <laughs> precision engineering watches.
1: The, the um, ones of us that are still alive and not in prison camps. Yes, we would be driving Mercedes. Well,
0: you know, look, as I said to Chrissy last night, say what you want about Hitler. No. But Harvey, Harvey Weinstein wouldn't have been in a position to uh, <laughs> masturbate uh, 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 in front of women and, and ask true. them to watch him have a shower. So Hitler would have taken care of that. Right.
1: It's a it's a give and take. History is nothing more than a series of give the and whole,
0: takes. The whole, the whole, you know, Israel Palestine conflict.
1: No problem there. Exist.
0: Yeah. No problem yeah. there. You know. Uh, um, so you know,
1: <laughs> alternative theories
0: <laughs> yeah. at their
1: finest. Yeah. Say
0: what you want about Hitler, but he he would have uh, you know he would have done things differently.
1: Right. That's true. The good news for the Americans is that the the large amount of high quality uh, uranium ore that was found in Toulouse was back at Oak Ridge being processed. So not only did we grab the scientists before the Russians could, we got some materials and we know what the, what the Germans are not capable of. So things are looking pretty, pretty good for the Americans. However, there still is the problem of the stubborn Japanese.
0: Which brings us to April 1945. Now, as we know, um, only weeks before Germany surrendered on May 7th, FDR dies, choked on a hot dog while (laughs) giving his mistress fellatio. That's not how they tell it in the official version. Um, But uh, we're pretty sure that's actually what happened. Yes. Actually, no, his girlfriend had died, hadn't she? She died a couple of months earlier. Right. His mistress. Yeah. Uh, oh, well. So he, he had Ma- nothing to live for. Ma- yeah. So he dies and Truman takes over as POTUS. And as we know, Truman knew nothing of the Manhattan Project or, or the atomic bomb in any way, shape or form, really, b- before he uh, became president. He'd been VP for, I think, what, three months yep. before this. Um, five. Well, wait, we, we, uh, Yeah, a little bit over, more than that. When yeah, it was an inauguration day, still in January back then. or was it a bit later. I think it was a bit later. I
1: think a bit later. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, they were like, "This is too fucking cold. We're not, we're not doing that." Um. So yeah, he's been, he's been, he was veep for about three months. No one, no one bothered to tell him about the bomb, but he gets briefed on it immediately. Obviously, when he becomes president, I think initially by Stimson. Secretary right. of uh, War.
1: Yeah, so he's and, he's, getting a, he's getting a crash course in everything, which is great because he doesn't know anything that's going on. And I don't think FDR was being a jerk. I think FDR just used him for the election and he was getting on with the war. He hasn't got time to hold this guy's hand.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I still think it was very... Poorly uh, thought through by FDR oh, absolutely. And the people around him.
1: Absolutely. You've got a guy
0: that is old and is sick, you should have the Veep ready to step in. Anyway, Truman Truman managed, he pulled it off. Yeah. Um, but of course, by the time he takes office, Truman, Japan uh, is n- near to defeat as well. Now, keep in mind that the bomb was primarily developed to fight the Nazis. Mm hmm. But now that the Nazis are out of the picture nobody wants a 2 billion dollar white elephant. <laughs> what are you going what are you going to do with this thing? Just have, put it on a shelf? You've spent all these years building this thing. Uh you want to you want to you want to see what it can do. <laughs>
1: you want to take it out for a test drive. Yeah. Exactly. But- but here's the thing I didn't get. So we're talking about the super bomb, this mega bomb that very few people know. But see, even at this point, not only is Japan isolated, they're cut off, they're blockaded, they're being bombed by the B-29 bombers. But even just like a single raid in Tokyo, I think uh, in March, kills almost 100,000 people. And it hurts a lot more. So the point is, it's at some point, it's like... I don't really get what the stress is about the bomb, as far as using it on Japan, because obviously you can level cities. It might take you a little longer, but you've got you've got the ordinance to do it. But again, as we're going to see, there there are military and political applications uh, involved in using or not using this bomb that cost just over two billion dollars.
0: Yeah. Well, as you mentioned, so we've talked about the B-29, the Super Fortress, um, on earlier episodes. And we talked about how it was the world's first pressurized uh, Mm -hmm. airplane, I think, and certainly the world's first pressurized bomber. Right. So this meant it could fly at very high altitudes, um, and it was difficult for what? Fighting fighter planes that the Japanese still had left at this point, because they obviously didn't have a lot. They'd been like flying them into things for a while. Right? Um, it's, it's like, and I, and I get that. Like, you, 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 <laughs> they they just had too many planes, is what it was. Um, <laughs> they didn't have anywhere to put them. We got to cut so down on these planes. Yeah, we got to get rid of these planes. Somehow, we'll just crash them into things. I think was their thinking. Um, so the Japanese fighter planes couldn't reach many of them, um, although a few did. They, I read that um, on average the Americans would lose one B twenty nine per mission. Right. I don't know. I don't know exactly how many they had, um, but as you said, there was a there was a lot, and they were bombing the fuck out of Japan. Had been for quite a while. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, by the way, do you know what the B in B twenty nine stands for?
1: Bombastic,
0: Mr. No, Bombastic. <laughs> a lot of people, uh, if if you read the books, a lot of people think it stands for bomber. Yeah, um, but really, Boeing. secretly, yeah. No, no. Dan stands stands for the name of the guy who came up with the branding for the planes. Who was that? Barry. It's the <laughs> Barry Twenty Nine. All of the, every time you see a B. B-52, B-29, B B it's Barry. Um, I should have known. Stan, I apologize. Yeah. Stan was working on the nucleus of things, which is why uh, the, the the Manhattan Project funding was known as the S-1 program. That's nice. These guys
1: are yeah. all over the place. Man, they do not fuck
0: around Barry and Stan. <laughs> Anywhere you look in history, Barry and Stan... <laughs> Got their fingers. They're like Goldman Sachs, man. Right. They're like a vampire squid with tentacles everywhere.
1: Ban and Stary. Actually... Ben, Stan and Barry throughout
0: history. Ban and Stary, yeah. <laughs> so as you say, a single a single uh, firebomb raid on Tokyo in March 1945 killed nearly a hundred thousand people and injured over a million people. Um. <sighs> And again, most of these are civilians. Um, yeah. Of course, there, there are some military and some production facilities there, but most of them are going to be civilians. So, this is in an era where the the Allies feel it is justified mm-hmm. to go and just kill civilians on mass.
1: It- The one thing I find interesting is that, don't get me wrong, uh, the Japanese, they have hundreds of thousands, if not just over... 2 million troops, they're just not at the home islands, they're on the, they're on the mainland, they're out in uh, Southeast Asia, they've got their own tanks and planes and things like that. So these guys cannot get back to the home island to defend it because the uh, allies are dominating the waterways all around the home islands. And so you're right, so when these bombing raids come, it is predominantly against civilians who have absolutely no way to defend
0: themselves so how how do we how do we justify the, the mass slaughter of civilians like we see today uh, what is 70 80 80 years later 70 mm. what's 45 and 16 is it 2000, 70, 70 odd years later mm-hmm. um, there's a there's a gas attack in Gouda um, Damascus Syria uh, 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 and and Fifty people die, and and the world loses their fucking minds, right? Um, over that, um, and yet here we are: hundred thousand people dead in a single attack, mostly yeah. civilians, and um, that was okay back then. Only seventy two generations, maybe three generations ago, that was considered fine and dandy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, it was, it was in the middle of the Battle of Britain where the, a German bomber accidentally bombed, um, he went off course and he bombed a civilian target. The British reply in kind. And so ever since the middle of the Battle of Britain, the idea of bombing civilians was established. And so here we are, you know three or four years later. So by this time, even though it is absolutely horrific, it has become the norm. And even Churchill told FDR, look, we've got to bomb the Germans. We've got to bomb their homes. We've got to bomb their factories. We've got to bomb where they sleep because if you kill all the workers, they can't go into the armaments factories and make more weapons. So it was at this time accepted to be
0: absolute total war. We will bomb them on their beaches. We will bomb them in their beds. (laughs) They exactly. will bomb their children when they're playing in the playground. Oh and it's, to go uh, back yeah. famous Churchill speech that most people have never heard about, but it's uh, it's on
1: the B side. It's on the B side. <laughs> <laughs> and and to go back to something you said a second ago, when when the Americans were losing one bomber parade, you know, when this whole thing gets started in uh late forty, I mean the, the British are losing like half their half their um A group of uh, planes going out. So again, so even though this is horrific to lose one plane, it is so much better than what had been before. To the Americans, that's acceptable losses, especially when you can kill 100,000 people at the cost of one plane and one crew. Mm. So, so I, I guess the point I'm trying to make is, as horrible as this is, it's all relative. The, everybody's tired of fighting. They just want it all over with. And, uh, and as far as the American—and we're going to go into this in, in, our, in our other shows uh, that we're going to do later on tonight. I mean, the Americans are like—as far as the Americans are concerned, we've been sucker-punched by Japan, even though we both know that's not true— It is total war. It is their fault. They get whatever they deserve. They deserve whatever they get. And we are here to wipe them out and to end this war as fast as we possibly can to bring our boys home.
0: And also, uh, the other thing that's not true is your your little anecdote before about the Germans bombing a civilian target first and then Britain retaliating. I think I covered Mm -hmm. this episodes ago, like maybe a year ago. The British actually uh, bombed civilian targets first. Mm. As you recall, and then, uh, well, t- uh, yeah.
1: No, I'm just trying to remember the one thing. I uh, I don't remember the timing, unfortunately. But I'm trying to remember what was bombed. They lost their way, but but um, I don't I don't remember the one about the British bombings. Though I certainly believe you, because Arthur Arthur Bomber Harris was absolutely dedicated to killing as many Germans as he possibly could.
0: Your great uncle, wasn't he?
1: I wish I wouldn't be living here right now. I would be knighted. I would be driving a much better car, probably a a Mercedes. Um, My life would be different. My life would be different.
0: Bomber Harris. Um, Now, on the 13th of April, one of the um, victims, I guess, of these bombing raids in Japan Mm -hmm. was the Imperial Army Air Force Laboratory, where the Japanese research on their own atomic bomb had been done. It got hit and destroyed. Now, that's something we haven't talked about, and it's something that I I hadn't heard a lot about before I started doing my research uh, this week, is that the Japanese were trying to build their own nuclear weapon. Right. Did you know that, Ray? Yeah.
1: Uh, We we talked about it a couple of episodes ago. um, What? We were mentioning... No, not, I mean, not anything in any detail, just that everybody who, uh, when, when the Germans at first discovered the neutron, everybody was jumping on board, trying everybody that could, the industrialized nations were trying to start their own program. I think what happened to Japan was one, they were focused on the war in China and two, they did not have anywhere near the resources they needed. Cause we were talking about the heavy water. We were talking about, um, the plutonium, uh, that came along later. Japan's, um, Program, As far as I know, was pretty, pretty limited, even a lot more than Germany's. They did not have the material they needed, but they were trying just like everybody else.
0: Um, so in 1934, to drill down on the Japanese nuclear project, there was a university professor uh, called uh, Hikosaka Tadayoshi, um, who released his atomic physics theory. Mm hmm. Now, he he pointed out in this, apparently, that the huge energy contained inside of the nucleus of an atom could be utilized for nuclear power generation and weapons. Now, keep in mind that this wasn't worked out in the West until 1938. Wow. When the Germans worked it out. So a few years before that, Tadayoshi had worked this out. I tried really hard to find his papers. There's not even a Wikipedia entry on this guy. Wow. It's really hard to dig up any any stuff on him. is You just get little mentions of him, bits and places uh, around the web. Right. A couple of books touch on him, but it's very hard to find out much about him. But um, after that, uh, there was a leading Japanese physicist, Nishina Yoshio, who uh, wanted to really push forward this idea of using nuclear fission as a military weapon. And He was justifiably concerned that the U.S. uh, would be trying to create their own nuclear weapon. Mm -hmm. Now, apparently before the war, Yoshio was friendly with Einstein and Niels Bohr. Mm. And I am, yes, I am pronouncing it Einstein from now on because I was watching um, a video last night with uh, a German-American physicist uh, who we'll talk about later on. And that's how he pronounced it, Einstein. No. I was like, yeah, I fucking like that. Sounds, sounds, <laughs> sounds badass. Einstein. Um, yeah, so yeah, oh. Yoshio was friendly with Einstein and Niels Bohr. Obviously, during the war, uh, uh, they were on opposite sides of the table. He had um, previously, Nishina this is, set up his own nuclear research laboratory
1: mm-hmm.
0: to study high energy physics in 1931 at the Riken Institute. Hmm. Um, now, uh, if you've never heard of RIKEN, R-I-K-E-N, it's the Institute for Physical and Chemical Research in Japan. It had been set up in 1917. The uh, You've heard of RIKO, R-I-C-O-H, the Japanese camera company. Riko? Well, that came right. out of RIKEN. Oh, wow. Yeah, RICO. Yeah, Rico, RIKO, you oh. say Rico, <laughs> you say <laughs> tomato, I say tomato. Um, that came out of RIKEN. Now, in 1936, uh, Nishina Yoshio had built a cyclotron, and then he built a bigger one, a 220-ton cyclotron in 1937. Wow. In 1938, he purchased an even bigger cyclotron from the University of California, Berkeley. Oh, God. No. Yeah. They oh, were my like, God. Uh, what do you want it for? He goes, I'll oh, build an atom bomb. They're like, sure, why not? We're all friends. As long as your check sure. clears. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> <Jesus>. after, <laughs> after um, he met the director of Japan's Army Aeronautical Department's Technical Research Institute, mm-hmm. uh, Lieutenant General Yasuda Takio. Nishina told him about the possibility of building uh, a nuclear bomb for Japan. Right. Now, uh, Yasuda went and communicated that to the army minister, later prime minister, mm-hmm. Tojo Hideki. Yes, that Tojo, the famous right. Tojo. Um, the Razor. And Tojo told, yeah, is that his name, the Razor? Was,
1: yeah, every, yeah, he, he scared the shit out of everybody, and that was his nickname.
0: Right. That's not a bad nickname. If you're going to have a nickname,
1: that's the nickname
0: I want to have. Yeah. I just get called Mr. D back now. That's what it says on my Reddit profile. That's pretty good too. The raise is better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tojo ordered Yasuda to look further into possibility, but this was April of 1941. Oh, yeah. Um, Now, imagine if they'd been able to build a (laughs) boat before Pearl Harbor. That would have been awesome. Hey, look at what we got. Anyway, so Yasuda then passes the order down to Viscount Okochi Masatoshi, who is the director of the RIKEN Institute, who then passed the order down to Nishina. And then Nishina built up quite a big operation. He had 100 nuclear researchers working on this at one point. Damn. Um, Now, Japan's army and navy, a bit like the American army and navy, were, were in competition with each other. Right. So the, the Japanese Navy had its own uh, nuclear research project going on as well. Um, so all this is going on in the, the 40s in Japan as well as Germany in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I think a, sort of 1943, the Committee on Research and the Application of Nuclear Physics, a uh, committee that Nishina ran, wrote a report that concluded that while the atomic bomb was feasible Mm -hmm. in principle, um, here's a quote, it would probably be difficult even for the United States to realise the application of atomic power during the war.
1: Missed it by that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they were like, listen, it's yes, it's theoretically possible, but just too fucking hard and uh, we don't even think the Americans could do it, so let's not bother.
1: Well, they probably uh, weren't. Now, this was... Yeah, yeah. Go on. I was just going to say they probably weren't even considering that we would be getting some of the greatest minds from Europe who were running from the fascists, and you take that and you take a blank check. I mean, almost anything is possible. But it wasn't just the Americans. We were obviously um, using the skills of, uh, and the experience of a lot of other people who weren't from our country.
0: Yes, yes, and you also locked down the world supply of uranium pretty much that, um, very early on, which made it difficult.
1: That don't hurt either.
0: I man, I was t- I was telling Chrissy this story last night because yeah, you know, she doesn't listen to the fucking show, she doesn't care. But I was I was I was, I was going, you know, Leslie Groves, man, like you got to hand it to Groves, what he did, like it, it, the the how quickly he ramped up, yeah. and was running parallel um projects to try and figure out how to refine the uranium and the plutonium and the way he just locked down uh, the, the world supply of uranium to the best of his ability. Right. Uh pretty fucking smart and like didn't fuck around this guy. Like he 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 was you know, he was onto that shit, man. Like I'm super impressed with Groves. Like it, it turns out he was a he was a cunt. Yeah. But um, massive. Yeah. You know, it, like Churchill, the right cunt for the job. Exactly. Really. Um you know, um, now uh, this was just the Japanese Navy though that decided, yeah, fuck this nuclear weapons thing. It's too hard. They they focused their attention on radar, but the army, Japanese Army, still thought um, it was it was possible. Mm-hmm. So they set up the Nigo project or Nigo N I G O project at the Riken complex. They were trying to create uranium two thirty five. Sorry, separate. Uranium-235 into 238 using thermal diffusion. Right. It took until February 1945 for them to be able to separate um, a small amount of radioactive material. Um, Now, two months later is when the Americans bombed the facility. Right. (laughs) So that's heartbreaking. They were close. Yes, they were very. Well, I don't know. <laughs> Is it as an American? If they'd got it first, man, you would be uh, yeah. eating sushi with chopsticks. Oh, well, wait, you already do eat. <laughs> you'd be driving. You'd all be. If they'd won, you'd all be driving Japanese cars. Oh, no. okay. Wait, you're already Scratch driving that. Japanese yeah. cars. You'd you'd be you'd be. <laughs> You'd all be using Raikou camera. Oh, no, 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 they go. got that. Scratch um, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Uh, how would it be different if the Japanese had won? I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know. You'd, you'd, you'd all know karate.
1: <laughs> well, we love karate movies. Kind of the same. You'd, thing. you'd
0: be wax on, wax wax on, wax off, man. Like
1: uh, I'm a. Back Instead off of master.
0: J- jerk off. Right, right.
1: No, but it, but if, you, if you want to just for a second dabble into alternative history, um, depending on when they would have come up with this, if they would have come up with it in the late 1930s, uh, early, uh, say, 1940, I think they would have used it on China before they got to us. And so if they had done that, and I really think they would, I think America would have backed off of them and they would have been able to control Asia like they wanted to. So, yeah, things could have changed very much. I don't know if it was um, limited resources or whatever, but to, to know about it before a lot of other people, but to not be able to get any kind of fusionable material until early 45. I mean, they just got passed by. Well, yeah. Keep,
0: keep in mind, the Americans didn't get any until early 1945 as well. I mean, it took the Americans a shit ton of time to figure out how to do it. It was difficult. Yeah. Um, so I think they were running almost in parallel, but uh, then the Americans bombed their facilities. So. Well, that
1: too, but we also were using three processes. I think they might... It was. Um, did you know, did you read that the yeah. Japanese were using one? We were using all three, and, we, and, and money was yeah. no object.
0: Well, they did have separate processes, projects running, which I'll get into. um, So uh, one of the problems, obviously, that they also had is getting access to uranium ore. Mm -hmm. They did um, conduct searches. They were even looking in Fukushima, of all places. Um, Obviously, ironic because... Fukushima's where a nuclear power station went up a few years ago, and it got soaked in radiation. Right, but they were also looking in territories they'd conquered. They were looking in Burma, um, Korea, China. They also tried to get some from Germany, mm. and this is one of the great stories. So um, Germany shipped to them twelve hundred pounds, five hundred sixty kilograms of unprocessed uranium oxide. Right. ...on the German submarine (laughs) U-234. The irony! Uh, They shipped (laughs) Uranium-235 on a submarine called (laughs) U-234. By the way, do you know what the U stands for in U-234? Oh, I used...
1: um, The German word for underwater, urban... I, I can't remember.
0: Yeah, no, it's actually Barry's middle name. Uh, no, kidding. No, yeah, <laughs> Untur-Seaboot. Untur-Seaboot. boat Right. Untur-Seaboot. Yeah. Good one. Anyway, it was the U-234's first and only mission into enemy en- enemy territory. Right. Um, but then on May 14th, 1945, it was told to surface and surrender by Admiral Donitz. Um, yeah. Yeah and it offered its unconditional surrender to the Americans at the end of the uh, uh, European war, and the uh, uranium disappeared. I'm sure it did. Uh, It's assumed that it ended up back at the Manhattan Project. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like everything else.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it wouldn't have been enough anyway. It would have yielded um, about 20% of the 238 that the, the the Japanese would have needed right. to to um, build a bomb. So, but it would have helped, maybe. Yeah. I don't know how much they had. Now there was another Japanese project, nuclear weapons project, going on at the same time as Nigo. It was called FGO. <laughs> yeah, Sorry. Uh, it was it was a navy program, right? but it was a separate part of the Navy. It was taking place at uh, the Imperial University Kyoto under a guy called Arakatsu Bunsaku. You really like those names, don't Um, you? Oh, fuck, I do, man. He was um, the number one Japanese physicist at the time. He'd studied at Cambridge under Ernest Rutherford. Wow. The guy who invented the atomic model. And uh, at Berlin, under Albert Einstein. (laughs) That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. Now, by the time World War II was over for Japan, um, Arakatsu had designed and was building a massive centrifuge Mm -hmm. that would have been able to spin at 60,000 rotations per minute. Um, and so you know it would have been fast. By the way, u- modern ultra centrifuges can spin it uh, a million g's, oh. um, nine thousand eight hundred kilometers per second squared. That's insane. Which is fucking <laughs> fast. Uh, but anyway, um, Arakatsu didn't manage to produce any U two thirty eight before the end of the war. So um, now here is the the the, the Final bit of the Japanese nuclear story, though. In 1946, a journalist for a paper called the Atlanta Constitution, David Schnell, who had served in the army during the war, wrote an article Mm -hmm. where he claimed Japan built and tested an A-bomb three days before the end of the war. Huh. Huh. They called it the Genzai ba- Bakudan, Genzai Bakudan, uh, or Greatest Warrior. Now, he claimed he'd been told this by a Japanese officer, um, who was a guy who was in charge of counterintelligence uh, for the project before the fall of Japan. Right. Now they claimed that the project was moved to Conan, the Barbarian. <coughs> Conan, right, in Korea before the end of the war. Now Conan is uh, also known as Hungnam because Conan was hung. Right, uh, <laughs> stairs the reason. Conan the Hungnam. <laughs> um, it was moved to Korea because of the B twenty nine bombings. Because they could see what was coming, so they 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 moved all of their research equipment out of the lab. Right um, to Korea. And then the Soviets took control of that area and captured all of the Japanese atomic scientists. But he claims that they had tested a bomb. Now, this may have been, it uh, sounds like nonsense, but mm-hmm. what we do know is that on August 29th, 1945, a B-29 called the Hogwild was shot down by the Soviets over the Hungnam region. Ooh. Now David schnell this journalist went on to become senior editor of life magazine right um so he wasn't a he wasn't Quack. a nobody yeah uh, nobody journalist this guy so he claimed the Japs had built an a bomb and tested it successfully but um I uh, but you know I, again I couldn't find any more I, I read his article I dug that up uh, Newspapers.com read it right um but couldn't find any more information on that. So interesting. Well,
1: okay, a couple of responses. Um one, if they had enough material to build a bomb and test it, they I'm guessing it, it took them so long to get that they probably couldn't have built a second bomb. And two, I'm still having a hard time picturing them shipping anything to Korea getting past the Allied blockade. Again, I don't know when that was. But um that's so that's that's a you know potentially a very scary story but there there it it does it is hard to imagine all of that being true
0: yeah yeah but then the Soviets did shoot a b29 down yeah um and that and and there was no major uh diplomatic ah
1: no uh, repercussions you know,
0: yeah yeah repercussions of that it kind of quiet that's uh,
1: weird who knows yeah who knows yeah
0: Meanwhile, uh, they're still bombing the fuck out of uh, Japan. Uh, Another air attack on Tokyo in May killed 83,000 people, and there were similar attacks on 67 (sighs) Japanese cities. Yokohama, Kobe, Osaka, Toyama, Nagoya. Um, And then more of the islands fell into American hands, so the bombing campaign was ramped up. According to the Japanese government's official statistics, Mm -hmm. air attacks killed... 260,000 people destroyed 2.2 million houses and left 9.2 million people homeless. Yeah, I
1: I just imagine at this point, I mean, there is no way to defend yourself from this. And like you said, these planes are flying so high, you might not even know they're they're there. So at at this point, it's pretty much if a bomb lands near you, you'll die. If not, you won't, or at least not this day. I just imagine these people living their lives not knowing at any second when, you know, just thousands of tons of bombs could land on them or land near enough to just wipe them out or wipe out their homes or wipe out their families. Um, uh, I I thought it was interesting that on May 22nd, 23rd, there was another bombing raid on Tokyo. The civilian, um, the minister said that uh, civilian defense measures within the city were pretty much futile. And I imagine they were probably futile way before May. But I'm just trying to picture these people... They have their pride, they have their culture, but yet whether they're going to live or die is a complete random lottery determined by whether there's a plane that you probably can't see or hear flying over you at any given moment. And the closer that the Americans get and they take more territory, the bombings actually increase. So just imagine something just less than 100 cities on a regular basis being bombed by the Americans.
0: Yeah, And their supply lines, the Japanese supply lines, had been severed because of the blockade that you mentioned before. Yeah. Now, the accepted view of the Americans was that the Japanese would fight to the bitter end and that the Americans would have to invade the islands, which would be costly, uh, both in terms of American casualties and Japanese casualties. Mm -hmm. Of course, what this view tends to ignore is what the Japanese would do when the Soviets joined the Pacific War, as the Americans had been urging them to do for several years. Stalin had agreed, as we've seen, uh, he agreed that the Soviets would join the war against Japan within three months of the end of the war with Germany. Mm -hmm. He was going to end his neutrality pact and declare war, which would mean early to mid-August. Um, G- right, Germany surrendered. Um, May seventh 7th of May. Right. So three months, June, July, August. Seventh of August um, would have been the due date for him to cl- declare war on Japan. Now, on August third, Marshal Vasilevsky reported to Stalin that if necessary, he could attack Japan on the morning of August the fifth. Mm. So the Soviets were ready to go. Right, August fifth. But we'll talk more on that later. Now,
1: I wanted to bring up and um, and just to make it interesting, I can certainly take the American position on this, and so that the Americans are thinking, look, these people are not going to give up. It's a part of their culture. they if we if we have to invade, we're going to lose. You know tens, of, we'll go into the numbers later, we're going to lose tens of thousands of our own troops, not to mention hundreds of thousands of Japanese people. And we're talking civilians here. So the people in the Washington are pretty much thinking, you know, we're going to have to use these bombs in order to get the Japanese to surrender. But the question is, why, does the, why do the men in uh, Washington think this is, the, this is the way it has to be? Well, one, one oversimplified answer is because Tokyo Radio is telling them that. Tokyo Radio announces, if by any chance the enemy believed that he could demoralize the Japanese people, he had made a big mistake. The Emperor of Japan, on the morning of March 18th, deigned to pay an unexpected personal visit to the stricken districts of the capital. All the people touched by his sympathy renewed their determination to prosecute the war. And they say, this is a sacred war against the diabolical Americans. Now, we all know, we can all step back and say, this is propaganda. But at the same time, it's the government in Japan trying to stir their people on to continue to resist. So part of it's propaganda, but part of it's true. What are the Americans to do if they don't want to go in? Because you said this on a couple of episodes ago, almost every senior major uh, military uh, person involved in the war does not want to invade the home islands of Japan.
0: Uh, you missed out, when that Tokyo Radio thing, you missed out the most important line, though. From oh, what that. was that? It said, well, it said the emperor uh, paid a, a, a personal visit to the capital, to Tokyo, after being bombed. Mm-hmm. This is after the bombing of the 9th and 10th of March. Right. Now, keep in mind that the, the, the emperor was a god, literally, as we've mentioned before, literally a god right. to the Japanese people. Most of them never saw him the the first time any of them heard him speak was when um he announced the official surrender um of japan so he was literally a god and here he is walking around the you know destruction of, of tokyo this is a huge this is like jesus fucking came back and was walking around the districts man to the japanese people but here's the key the, the key line from the tokyo address that you skipped it says he went on foot Exposing himself to the cold March wind. Now he's not only a god, but he's whipping out his old fella in the cold, no. so just to demonstrate no. what a supernatural being he is. He's like, you think this is cold? Look at this. Look, look no shrinkage. Imperial, no shrinkage. The imperial John. The imperial Johnson. <laughs> no shrinkage. Uh, see, I am a god. Bow down before me. That no. is why. The Americans were scared. They were like, if he can whip his Johnson right. in the middle of winter. We will fight on. They, they, they are indestructible.
1: <laughs> so, so I guess he's a god, but he's not an indestructible god, as in he can be killed. He can be taken off of his throne. But I don't know anything about Japanese religion so I'm just, or whatever, so I'm not going to touch any of that. But I guess he's a particular kind of god that can be
0: killed. And, of course, the Americans, um, you know, were particularly uh, um, worried about the the cost of of, um, invading the islands because of what they'd experienced when they took Iwo Jima and Okinawa. Yeah. Um, Now, I know very little about this. Um, Being a a non-American, I haven't really studied. I haven't even seen Clint Eastwood's movies. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, but I did read up on it um, over the last week uh, a little bit, and it's fascinating. So I'm sure you, you know you know a lot about this, but uh, for me it was kind of um, really, really stunning um, how well the Japanese uh, were able to fight back at Iwo Jima. Yeah. Um, who was the, the head of the Japanese um, defence there? Uh, Kobayashi, I think. Kobayashi. Uh, The, 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 (laughs) it's a Star Trek thing, the Kibayashi Maru. Yeah. (laughs) I kept thinking of this guy. Um, So for people who, like me, don't know much about it, so the island of Iwo Jima, it's sort of just south of Tokyo. From the 19th of February to the 26th of March, 1945, the Americans uh, took it and uh, they they ended up with uh, 6,821 Americans killed. 19,217 wounded out of a force of just 70,000. That's staggering. Now, 20,000 20, Japanese were also killed, um, some by Americans and some by taking their own life, ritual suicide rather than be captured. Right. Some lived on in this t- in the tunnels underneath Iwo Jima for, like, f- years. Mm-hmm. These guys <laughs> stayed down there and kept fighting. Uh, but I love this quote from the uh, fleet admiral of the United States Navy, Chester Nimitz, uh, just before they landed at Iwo Jima. He said, well, well, this will be easy. The Japanese will surrender Iwo Jima without a fight. God. Uh, Time magazine um, reporting on the Battle of Iwo Jima said, the ordinary unreasoning Jap is ignorant. Perhaps he is human, but nothing indicates it. So this was uh, two views of the Japanese.
1: Um, And then when the Americans... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to say, because at this point, because we've got the island surrounded, it's not like they can retreat. And as we've discussed in previous episodes, their culture and the way they view themselves, they can't allow themselves to be captured because that's worse than anything else. So yeah, you either fight until you die or you take your own life to avoid the shame for your family and for your country. And that again, that's something that the Americans quite Quite can't uh, can't quite grasp, but it is freaking them out, and so just the idea of comparing this to a much larger scale of taking the home islands is freaking out the 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 mayor, the Americans who are in the know when it comes to fighting the Japanese.
0: Well, the Japanese had also um, been preparing, I think, for like a year mm-hmm. to defend Iwo Jima because they knew that it would be you know part of the invasion of the home islands. Right. Um, so they had built this massive network of tunnels underneath it. they built re- really great... Defense. And what I learned was when the Americans first landed at Iwo Jima, uh, they'd been bombing the fuck out of it, by the way, first. The Americans had bombed the fuck out of right. it for like six months. Um, and then when they... They couldn't see anything going on there. So they landed, nothing happened. Right. So they, they marched onto the beaches um first of all, the beaches were made of like some sort of volcanic ash, so they couldn't walk on it very well. It was they were up to yeah. their knees in volcanic ash. Um, so they nothing happened. there were, no one shot at them. there's no firing, no no one attacked them, so they're like, oh, this is gonna be easy. So they landed everybody, <sighs> and then after they'd landed everybody, then kobayashi let him have it he'd he'd dug in. he had <laughs> his guns and everything dug in is like. <laughs> wait and see. See the wait until you see the white of their eyes, or until I give the order. Um, it reminded me a little bit of um, the the beginning of the American Civil War, the taking of the what was the fucking hill um, that they the, the start of the Civil War. Um, the start of the war,
1: the Civil yeah, War. Yeah,
0: there was no. Sorry, not the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. There was um, the hill that the the, the British. Yeah, Bunker Hill, uh-huh. where the, the Americans had Americans sort of had their ammo right. stash, uh, uh, and they waited till the British got really close before they let him have it. Same thing. Um, he was obviously a student of the Revolutionary War, Kobe Bayashi. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so yeah, he waited till the Americans had pretty much landed everybody on the beach, and then he just fucking hit them hard with everything <sighs> he had. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember, I don't know who it was, one of the American commanders said, I don't know, I, he said something like, I don't know who's in charge of the Japanese, but this motherfucker is one smart badass. Right. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, that's basically what he said. Yeah. Um. So then when, they, it, when the Americans landed on Okinawa, uh, the first of the Japanese home islands in April 1945, it was one of the bloodiest... Battles in the Pacific, 160,000-plus casualties on both sides, oh. 75,000 allied, uh, eighty-four to 117,000 Japanese, including Okinawans wearing Japanese uniforms like civilians. There was 150,000 civilians killed or committed suicide or went missing from an estimated population of 300,000. Jeez. Half the civilian population Dead or missing at the end of taking Okinawa. Jeez. Um so that had been the American experience, and they're right. like, fuck, if they fight like that when we land on the rest of the islands, we're fucked. Yeah, yeah. But of course, it's up for debate whether or not they would have had to. And 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 historians, and this is important to know, historians have been debating that whether or not they would have had to have invaded ever since. Um, and we're going to get into this in in a huge amount of depth um, over the course of the next few episodes because um, I think it's it's a very important question and I and, and my experience in talking to most people, Americans and Australians, is that they have very limited knowledge of the debate, and I think it's it's worth understanding. Okay. Um, we've got to wrap it up there folks. Ray and I've got, uh, uh, an interview that we have to go and do, uh, with, um, Jeff, the host of another cold war podcast that you, you, you'll hear in a couple of weeks, but that's where we're going to wrap it up. So, uh, come, when we come back, episode 78, we'll be talking about, uh, the Trinity test. Um, so that's, uh, that's big. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just... Uh, let me let me thank a few people before we do that. Uh, I'm going to read a review. This is from um, the United States. The Day Were Revolt is the name of the uh, reviewer. Right. <laughs> uh, um, I studied military history in college, and specifically the Cold War. My father was a Cold Warrior both in the military and working in defense thereafter. His stories about flying combat over Vietnam all the way through his intelligence work got me very interested in the Cold War, the Soviet Union, communism, and the Russian people. His side of the family is ethnically Russian, and his father was a tank driver in the U.S. Army during World War II. Mm. Due to my career, which utilizes zero of what I learned in college, (laughs) I stopped reading or self-studying the Cold War. Cam and Ray have reinvigorated my love for Cold War history. Their podcast is informative and downright hilarious. The constant banter and silly voices give the history itself a new spirit. I appreciate that while they know Stalin was an ass hat of a human being, he did achieve great things for the Soviet Union. I like how detailed the 469,000 episodes about Yalta were. <laughs> I learned quite a bit from this series, especially about that. I enjoy hearing about events or people I was familiar with but didn't realise their involvement in the Cold War. The episodes regarding economics were truly fascinating. The show just keeps getting more and more nail-biting and they have so much farther to go. I will be listening to this podcast until I die, and gladly. I've stopped listening to music, replaced by Cam and Ray every time I have the opportunity to turn them on. To the hosts... Cam, your Churchill voice sounds more like Bane from The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and actually, no, that's not true because Bane is doing uh, Sean Connery. Right. Well, Mr. Wayne, it's so <laughs> good to see you here, my friend. What? <laughs> he does Sean Connery like. Well, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> well, <Where is> Churchill. <laughs> Seriously, revisit the movie, he says. All right, you don't have to ask me twice. Uh, Ray, please do your homework and don't forget to drink your milk and eat your vegetables. Cam, thank you for using the word cunt frequently. It's extra funny in an Australian accent. Ray, love your World War II podcast. To both, I really want to hang out with you buttheads whenever I make it to Virginia, my girl's family is there, or to Australia whenever I decide to holiday there. Cheers to a brilliant and hilarious podcast. I will gladly throw money at you. Thank you, The Day We Revolt. You can come and hang out with us. Funnily enough, we're going to be... In Europe, uh, in July uh, for three weeks. Yeah. So, you know, come if hang. You wanna, if you if you want to hang, that's your opportunity this year to hang. Um, thank you for that review. Very funny. Uh, send us an email with your postal address, and we'll send you a token of our appreciation. That's it for this episode. Gotta go. <laughs> we'll be back next week with more chuckles. was producing another oh, An
1: iron curtain has descended across the continent
0: don't have time.